0: On this episode of Inside Music Cast, we're taking you to Minneapolis, Minnesota, to introduce you to a band that needs to be heard outside of the Twin Cities. This is Tara Mara.
1: I don't own you, I don't even know you, we were once but that was there.
0: Lead singer and keyboardist Rob Meany from Teramara. Hey, Rob, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks.
3: Good to be here.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to just kind of start off by explaining that this interview is going to be a little different for us here at Inside Music Cast because our guests, you know, generally our guests are you know some of the amazing musicians that are that we call musicians behind the musicians, as mm-hmm. we like to describe our, our little niche. But but today we're chatting with Rob Meany, leader of a band called Terramara. Uh, an incredible band from Minneapolis and, and this really is a great opportunity for us To introduce uh, our audience to the music From a band we think, you know, they're, they're really going to dig
4: That's right
0: But, uh, you know, just to start off uh, Giving a, a little description of Terramara, It's a it's a four-piece, or actually A four-and-a-half, five-piece band Because mm-hmm. I know you have two mm-hmm. bass players at share Duty right now That's um, right, yes So it's it's Rob Meany, uh, our guest here On mm-hmm. lead vocals, piano, and keyboards You've got David Thomas uh, on drums Carl Koopman on guitars and uh James Towns and Tom Larson sharing bass duties. Yeah. So just initially take us back and, and describe sort of the evolution of this band.
3: Well, uh I would say about 10 or 11 years ago I uh you know I split off from I was playing in other bands and mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to put together my own project. So uh you know I really started by just putting an ad in the paper and trying to, you know, hook up with some other local musicians kind of started that way, you know, and then there was, there was some turnover and, you know, as you get to know the, the, you know, the music community is kind of small in a way, no Mm -hmm. matter which city you're in. Sure. And so I got to know, you know, some other players and I think uh, attracted Dave uh, Thomas initially and, and uh, in like 2000, around 2000 and, um, and then Carl joined us in two thousand two. And then James was on board uh, about two thousand five. So you can see I've really had a pretty solid lineup since about two thousand five. Yeah. And really Tom comes in, he's an old friend of mine from college, Tom Larson, and hmm. he uh he sits in if I can't get if James can't do it then Tom will do it and he's really been good um just switching out. So most of the time it's James, but we use Tom when we
2: uh, when we need him.
0: Mm-hmm. Before we move on and ask more questions about Terramara. Um, Eddie and I want to find out more about you know your musical roots and you know just in general. When did you first discover your love for music? And, and uh, was the piano and keyboards your first instrument, or were yeah. you playing something else?
3: Actually, uh, I started um, you know way back in like fourth grade on uh, trumpet, yeah. and switched to French horn, and then. I picked up electric bass uh to play in jazz band in high school and I sang you know uh and I started playing piano when I was about 12 I actually had to ask my mom to get me some lessons cuz I was I would always drive you know drive my bike down to the church and play cuz we didn't have a piano so I really was self-motivated to get started on it and um took lessons for a few years got into college and Realized, you know, I, I started the music major, and I realized that uh, that whole organized uh, music degree thing was just worth, it wasn't working out for me. So I, <laughs> I, I was, uh, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I was more interested in pop music, and sure, I, you know, I got out of college, and I really didn't, you know, I was kind of a, a late bloomer in some ways because I didn't really start writing my own songs uh, until after college. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was painfully shy throughout high school and college. I didn't really like to perform. And the more I looked at it, I just realized, you know, I really got to get out there and do this. I mean, I I felt like I had the talent, but I just didn't have the, I don't know, I just didn't have the gumption to, to get up on stage. So I kind of, you know, that was a long process to, for me to get up and, and actually perform for people. And, right. So I realized, you know, hey, I can sing pretty good. I can play pretty good. Uh, I should, you know, start writing and see if I can do this. So that's when it, you know, all started to come together, and I I felt like, you know, maybe I should try to put a, a band together and get out and play.
4: <laughs> yeah. y- you know what? Let me inject something here. That, I mean, that's really what church is all about because that's where you get all banged up. You learn how to make all your mistakes, <laughs> sing all your yeah, bad yeah. parts and get in front of people and sing songs and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that has been a historical proving ground for so many guests of our in, ours in yeah. church, you know?
3: Oh, totally. Yeah, I hear that <laughs> all, all the time. You know, I started off in church choir or something, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about, like, your, your family. You just mentioned your mom a second ago. Were, were they musical?
3: uh you know uh my mom sings a bit, and my dad i think he used to play drums or something, but they aren't necessarily- they aren't they don't do a lot of music they' very much appreciate music and uh I think I'd have to go back to like my grandparents uh uh-huh. i think I had a composer uh i don't know if it was like a a distant cousin or something that was a big composer or something but right um in my family we seem to have gotten the music gene because my sister my younger sister plays oboe and english horn in the national symphony out in dc oh nice interesting and so she's really you know she's followed that track as well but just kind of a different different style but uh, and the rest of my family is uh not so much they've gone in different directions
0: well, tell me about some of the other like direct musical influences that you had. You know, maybe when you were young or a teenager that kind of set you on your path.
3: I would say uh, the biggest influences for me starting out is that I used to listen to a lot of um, Chicago, yeah, er, early Chicago, mm-hmm. okay, and uh, Stevie Wonder, yeah, were some, and uh, Miles Davis. Uh, I really started to get into some jazz early on. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those kind of artists really, I uh, I got into those early, and uh, I had a classical background. I, I when I started on piano, mm-hmm. I would just be playing classical music—bach, Beethoven, Mozart. Really got into Frederick Chopin. Um, sure, you know that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where I started, and so I think a lot of. A lot of musicians that start that way and that are like really musicians, uh, they're you know they get into pop bands and I think a lot of their music uh, reflects reflects that style. Those it comes from those styles, you know.
4: You know, well, well, while we're talking about your influences, I mean, at, at what point? I mean, you're. Um... You know, you started playing classical music, and you probably went through grade school and high school. At what, what what was the crossing point where you saw where jazz sort of either collided or crossed over the path of uh, classical music and uh, and 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 took you a different way, if if you will?
3: I think I started trying to write pop songs, and I knew uh, you know when I start when I play piano, I play j- you know jazzy kind of chords, and mm-hmm. I think. It just kind of comes out that way, I you know. It's sort of like that's just what I know, and so I, I you know, I should I should mention too, like I used to listen to uh, Steely Dan, yeah, and obviously you know they're, uh, you know, of the same vein.
0: I've never heard of them. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> I, you, <laughs> <laughs> they need
3: Steely to get Dan. out more. Um,
2: <laughs> Steely Dan. No, so mm. yeah,
3: so, you know, stuff. I guess the Steely Dan is probably the best example of like right. Where where we're we coming from in some ways, although I don't necessarily, I haven't really tried to emulate them uh, so much as people have have really come to us saying, "Yeah, you guys really, sound, you know, sound like them." Yeah. So, which is a, a great compliment.
4: Sure. Yeah. Well, to the, to that point, uh, you know, I was stumbling across. Uh, uh, I think an in, in interview that somebody did with you, and they mentioned that, uh, and I went to check it out on CD Baby, and of course you tagged your uh, genre or your descriptor of Terramara as very much of what you're saying that if you like uh, or resembles if, if it's if you like Steely Dan, and you mentioned Joe Jackson, uh, yeah, yeah. and and some others that I think sort of are in that same field, but uh, I guess they they only speak to your influences. It's not who you're trying to copy. So it's it's people that have poured into your music. You
3: say? I, I would hope so. Yeah. I, I mean, we're not trying to, you know, copy anybody. It's just, this is what's coming out of me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I certainly tip of the hat to a lot of those guys, and, and they sort of help me get around the idea of what makes a good song. Um, but, I mean, the, the songwriting process is so unconscious. I mean, you're, you're really just trying to, you know, channel whatever, you know, inspiration you have at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, as a songwriter, you know, you can really go in a lot of different directions. Uh, you, you don't you, you one day you could write a folk song and the next day you could write a, you know, a heavy metal song, but it just depends on what mood you're in. Possibly, Terramar could be uh, criticized for being a little over all over the map in some ways. But, <laughs> yeah, <right.
4: laughs>
3: but I like it that way.
4: Exactly. You said you sort of got a late start in your in your writing. Um, you know, what what prompted you to to write first? Because me this afternoon, me as we were preparing for the interview. Um, Rick and I were talking that uh, you know when it comes down to your albums, you you know four blocks, the hennepin and Dustin and Fiction, they are so well written and, and we're sort of like critical of 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 the the craft of of writing, you know anybody can really tell a well crafted song and uh, in discussing these albums, we're finding man this these are so well written that you know when you first started or got the call to, or when you started writing at 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 first. What, what prompted you to do that? When How did you sort of stumble on, hey, I want to write a song, or what prompted you to do that?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I think I started to realize that, you know, I think I can I might be good at this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you... Sometimes you get that feeling. Um, and I think what maybe helped me up was just that I, I was, like I said, I, I just didn't have a lot of um, confidence as as a performer. And, right. And so I, I think I... I you know believe me uh when i started it w- <laughs> they weren't that good <laughs> you know i mean i think you improve over time i probably didn't release like the first 25 songs that were that sucked you know and then now you know I, o- I only wanted to put out the good ones and it was really i think i'm i'm sort of uh not a perfectionist but i i think i i i know i'm self critical about my own stuff yeah and I don't want to put out just anything, you know. I, I feel like I can tell when this is worth having someone listen to it.
0: So, yeah. And mentioning that, you know, the fact that you've uh, you discovered your songwriting capabilities and, and obviously have written some fantastic songs, as Eddie mentioned, for Terramara. Have you ever written for anyone else? Have you, like, co-written or written songs for other performers? Yeah,
3: That's a good question. Uh, I have not. Um, I... I have an interest in that. I, I would I've been looking into it just because I feel like I can write I can do that sort of thing. Like uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um I've written a lot of songs that I didn't feel were right for Terramara and that's why I have a lot of stuff that I'm gonna put together for a solo record coming out. Okay. Maybe in about six months or so. Wow, okay, that's cool. Great. That's cool. So that's, that's gonna to be more like a singer songwriter type album. Okay. And uh but in the back of my mind I've always thought about co-writing and working with uh with other artists cuz I think I think that would be a lot of fun.
4: Exactly.
0: Well, let's uh let's dive into Terramar and uh you know, obviously Terramar has released uh three albums during its I guess I guess it's about 12 year history, right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the the self-titled debut is uh yeah just that terramara, then of course, there was the second album, four blocks to Hennepin and the most uh recent album released in two thousand and eight dust and fiction and first, let's chat a little bit about the self titled debut which was uh released I think back in two thousand. Yeah. This being your first Taramara record how did you uh approach songwriting and music direction on this one yeah
3: well it's interesting uh the you know the evolution of the band um when, we, when I first started Terramara, I really wanted it to be uh, like the four musketeers, kind of, mm-hmm. everybody's involved, and, yeah. you know, let's all share, let's try to collaborate on everything, and, um, you know, mixed results on that. I, I yeah. felt like, I, I guess maybe I didn't realize how much I wanted to, like, make it my imprint on the songs, but right, right. I was kind of the only... You know, I was the main songwriter, but I I tried to incorporate ideas from from other members of the band. Sometimes that just made for a little, uh, kind of a painful process to put it together. But a lot of those songs were just, uh, you know, ended up being basically just, uh, I was just coming in with a song and uh, and then we would jam on it, a lot of jamming. And then, um, you know, it would sort of, you'd come to a a fixed uh, arrangement, but it was a little more jammy, I think. The first record might have been a little looser in terms of, like, Mm -hmm. some of the, you know, just the sections, and, you know, it wasn't wasn't these neat little uh, three-minute pop songs, you know.
2: Right, right, right.
3: right. So a different set of players, you know, you get a different result, and I think, um, you know, we just, it was our first time making a record, so, you know, we just, we we didn't really have the whole thing down before we went in. I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, this is this is a side question. I was going to throw this in somewhere, but tell us about the name Teramara. How did you come up with that?
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's an Italian word, uh, and well, you guys know how hard it is to find a good band name. So we <laughs> were, we were basically going through the the encyclopedia, trying to find something that hadn't been used, yeah. and uh, right. That just kind of. I don't know, it just kind of rolled off the tongue. So it wasn't really, it doesn't really have anything to do with the music. I, was, I mean, it, in, in Italian, it means fertile soil. Right. And um, so that's what we went with, I for better or for worse, I guess. We're stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Going back to the, this first album, your self-titled album, were, were the songs on this uh, album created just for this new band, or were they songs that you had been developing over time and, and just seemed to work for Taramara?
3: Um, those were... I think those were written when I started that band, because I had okay. a previous project, and I didn't carry those songs over. So I started fresh with the new band. and uh, yeah. So it was like... You know, it was probably like a year and a half, two years before we got in the studio, so we had time.
4: Yeah. On, on the production side, you, um, because of the fact that, you know, basically you got your chops pretty much uh, wet in, in the Minneapolis area. Um, you know, before you, you worked on this album, how long before had you met Ken Chastain to, uh, you know, the guy who produced your work? Because he was pretty much, uh, pretty much known in the Minneapolis area. Um, how did you cross paths with him?
3: Well, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, who, a guitar player, uh, who knew him, and, mm-hmm. or, and he recommended him, and so I went to, uh, I think it was like a panel discussion or something on producing, and he was one of the panelists, and I just gave him a three-song demo, and it had three of the songs that are on the first record, mm-hmm. and... Just said, you know, give me a call if you're interested, and he he sounded like he was really interested. Uh, later on, he called me right away and said, you know, this is great, let's do it. And um, so uh, it was sort of I was just introduced by someone, and and he was really into the music and really a big supporter early on. So we uh, we worked well together. We kind of become, have become friends. Mm-hmm. And he actually, and then he produces the uh, second one, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Um, the Four Blacks of Hennepin Records. So, right. Uh, yeah, he's been involved in the project for uh, a number of years now.
0: Well, tell us, I'm just curious about the success of this first record. I mean, obviously, Terramara is a band that's based in Minneapolis, right. and I know you guys have probably built an amazing reputation up there, mm-hmm. but did this first album find its way outside of the boundaries of the Twin Cities?
3: You know, I don't think so. I mean, not, maybe not as much as I had hoped. I I guess we um you know, maybe dropped the ball a little bit on promotion, and that's always been sort of our our downfall. We just uh, haven't uh gotten in the van and, you know, just done what you need to do to uh to try to be successful in the, in the, in the business, but um Yeah. Uh yeah, so that one you know might not have gotten as much exposure as maybe the second one
2: or this or this latest
0: you just you just mentioned getting in the van and i i read something somewhere about you know uh so you guys have a van called the terravan
2: <laughs> yeah we had
0: right?
3: got rid of it but uh yeah we we used that for a couple a few years we we did make a few trips in it
0: and tell us <laughs> what was the what was the significance of that van was it painted funky or something or
3: uh you know it was kind of <laughs> one of those Conversion vans, okay. uh, Ford Econoline, uh is all decked out inside with, okay. you know, <laughs> kind of crazy interior. But uh, didn't look it was, like
4: the Partridge Family or anything. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah,
3: it was something like that. And uh, yeah, we t- we actually went down in 2000. We drove down to Austin, Texas, for the South by Southwest, and we did, we weren't invited. But we just crashed it, and we did a couple of gigs with this other band, Joy Lab, and tried to make some connections, but that was, that was kind of our big trip in the Terravan.
4: Sure. <laughs> you know, in the first album, um, you have 10 tracks on, uh, on, on that, that project, and I noticed that on the second album, Four Blocks to Hennepin, you dropped 14 in there. I mean, granted, one of them is sort of a quasi-hidden uh, track, but uh, to put 14 in, uh, um, am I guessing? I'm trying to read between the lines here and thinking, okay, if you put 13 songs on an album, you must have a heck of a lot more songs that really could have ended up on this project. Um, do, you know, <laughs> yes. with as much work that you're, you're writing and composing, is that always a challenge for you? What do I put on this album and how do I make it flow?
3: Yeah, it is it's um it's it's a constant problem because I I mean like for example this this track that I'm introducing to you guys today uh Brooklyn Bridge mm-hmm. was a song that actually could have been on the second record and it could have been on the third record but it just for whatever reason it just didn't get on there. So here we have it, you know, it's just something I want to put out but uh you, you know, you try to you, you try to maintain a certain cohesiveness to the tracks so that um you know uh, you you want all the ha- you want all the tracks to hang together on the record sure. and i felt like in, on the first record that was what that's what worked but on the second record you know i felt like you know i think there's i think all of these tracks would sound good together of course i have other tracks and you know i think you sort of have to self edit so you know uh you know I I do have a lot of other ones but it's like I really don't want to put them out <laughs> unless they're unless they're ready you
0: know <laughs> I'm going to jump back just a little bit again, back to the first album, and you know this was a time when you obviously created this new band, and you know creating a new band means garnering a completely new audience, and you know you were with some you were with some bands prior to Terramara, but tell us about the process of getting gigs and discovering your fans with Terramara. I mean, yeah, was a this brand a new band? Yeah. yeah, was this a tedious process, or, or did well, uh, word spread quickly? Yeah,
3: you know, it's um, it was a tough process because we we didn't really fit in around here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really a bar band, you know, and no, uh, right. it's it's really hard to find a place for our our style of music. It really didn't, um, you know, attract a lot of attention or uh, around here. I think we had to sort of go person by person. It's like try to find your niche, and um, right. I think I think we had a little bit of luck at, at a couple of places in town that were like the fine line uh, here is a little more into the pop as opposed to the rock. Right. And, um, you know, just I guess we just kind of had to find our way around. And for a while, we were playing with jam bands. Sort of made sense in a way. I mean, we're sort of a musician's band.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: So, I mean, you know, if if we need to, if we want to, we can get up and we can do some serious soloing, but... Yeah. Um, I always want to kind of bring it, rein it in, bring it back to the songwriting. You know, because I think that's where I'm, I'm most interested in in working on. is Just you know, writing good songs, getting them recorded. Right. Exactly. Um, so we didn't play a lot of gigs around here, but um, it was tough. I mean, we we really couldn't find a lot of places that you know were really or find. We couldn't find a big audience. I guess. Yeah. Uh, around here maybe we would do better in Europe. I mean, I've heard a lot of people yeah. say that.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's that's probably true. I mean, based on the the uh, interviews that Eddie and I've done with a lot of the musicians that we we talked to uh, that's their that's their second home and uh, really? you know yeah. they're, they're 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 you know touring Europe and and there's just a completely different appreciation for the musicians' You know, musician kind of band. You know what I mean? And it's uh, yeah. and it's it's a completely different scene over there. And but I do have one question or one comment about uh, one of the tracks on your debut album. And it's the track "Your Mother's Eyes," and it sort of has a surprising ending. It's the it's the final track on the album, and uh, you know. It's, the first five minutes of the song is a pretty straightforward ballad. And then as the song seemingly ends and fades out, it quickly fades back into a very, you know, jazz oriented jam right, that completely, yeah. just completely grooves. And when I, when I heard this, I thought to myself that that this is the backbone or the DNA of what your band is all about. <laughs> exactly, you know, I yeah. could just, I could just feel it. And it's, a, it's yeah. just an incredible display of musicianship and a, and a deep musical connection between you and your band members at the time.
3: I think you might be onto something there, Rick. I mean, uh, I guess I shouldn't, downplay the jamming part because uh, you know we really did a lot of jamming back then I mean that was really we'd have you know big long practices with lots of jamming and um, so yeah there was there was, a, there was a definitely like uh, um, a cohesion there I think a lot of the band we had a rapport you know I mean people played well together and maybe that gets a little bit lost when you make a record and it's always yeah. hard to pull that off in the studio yeah. so yeah I mean uh Mother's eyes, the outro. Uh, who knows if that was a, a good idea to put yeah. that out there? When I think back, but you know, maybe maybe that's that's a direction that we could have gone. We could have become more of a uh, a jam oriented band.
4: Um, yeah, well I was going to just ask you, you know, have you ever thought about creating a an all instrumental jazz fusion type of project or a different set of players or whatever that, that takes you into sort of jumping in a little deeper into the, the that genre pool, you know what I mean? Cuz I really think you you you're, you're beginning to tap into something that I think is uh, c- could be sort of uncharted territory but really uh, interesting for you, you know?
3: Yeah, no, that's that's a great idea. I mean, I think the guys in my band could go in that direction mm-hmm. big time. I mean, they're very, very well. You know, they're good. They're good at what they do. They listen to a lot of jazz and fusion, and you know, they're big fans of of that of those areas. So, sure. I, I mean, I think I could see how if if we wanted to do an album like that, we could. I mean, it would, it would just be a question of what do we want to focus on. You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. It's it's interesting because in some ways I, you know, and we could talk about this with the future of the band, but I, uh, with me going off and doing this solo record, I feel like maybe that should be my outlet for more of this songwriting, singing, mm-hmm, you know, singer-songwriter mm-hmm. stuff. And then Terramar could really become more of a collaborative uh, effort focused on some of the things you talked about, just, yeah. you know, that a little more uh maybe jazz and fusion.
0: Yeah. Well moving ahead, there was there was a, a five year gap between your first record and your second and, mm-hmm. and this uh second album called Four Blocks to Hennepin. and, and uh first of all explain the, the title of, of that album.
3: Okay, uh there is uh there's Hennepin Avenue is uh mm-hmm. one of our most famous uh streets in downtown Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And um i basically came up with a the title track you know is four box of hennepin it's just a, it's a fictional story about a dark period in um, Minneapolis history when hennepin Avenue was kind of a center for drugs and uh, crime Okay, um, and uh just sort of came up with a, sort of a scenario mm-hmm. around that and um uh, so it's really just, yeah, I just something I, I came up with. It works. Uh, oh, I, I should say, I, I guess I should explain the four blocks part. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I think in the song, the scenario is a person is driving around in a car, and they're getting closer and closer to Hennepin Avenue uh-huh. one night, uh, and they're involved in some operation, some kind of clandestine, criminal activity. Right, so. right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a Steely Dan song somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's inspiring. You know, always talking about that stuff.
0: That's <laughs> true. Well, it goes without saying that, you know, Eddie and I love all three of your albums, but this and, uh, one is, is my favorite. I think Eddie may attest to that as well. Um, I don't know, maybe... We arm wrestled know. before, <laughs> okay.
2: We'll, we'll
4: that's all right. Yeah,
3: well, that one really kind of uh took a lot longer to put together so maybe that's why it's a little more um cohesive
2: uh
3: you know it really it was uh, it was you know 3 or 4 years in the making really i guess
0: yeah i wanted to mention that uh a couple of the tracks on that album one is uh Rajasthan and the other one's goodbye uh you know those are two of my favorite songs probably out of everything you've done. Mm-hmm. I, I just They're back-to-back, oh. back, you know, they follow each other on that album. But, you know, I also dig uh, Running Down the Avenue and Virtual Lisa. But in creating this second record, uh, how did you want to approach it? I mean, to me, I can hear sort of a large leap in musical progression on this album as compared mm-hmm. to your debut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what were you hoping to achieve with this record?
3: Well, uh, as far as the leap, I think, uh, you know, obviously I just, I I had a lot more experience and and maybe like we were talking about with the first record it was a little more collaborative second record really I felt like I was I was trying to bring in the songs and I had really kind of fleshed out a lot of the ideas Mm -hmm. and uh, that album was also kind of done piecemeal and we put together you know I would do some parts and somebody else would do some parts and we kind of you know um go back and forth so over time it sort of it was a lot more involved and a lot more you know just we spent a lot of time on the tracks sure and what i wanted to achieve i i guess we were just trying to make a quantum leap there we were just trying to say here's a definitive you know sta- statement of what we what we what kind of music we want to make And just get it out there. And, uh, you know, I think we were more successful in that regard than the first record. Part of it had to do with uh, we were actually got involved with a publicist. And, you know, we played like all the TV stations in town. And then we were involved in some uh, uh, contest for original music on one of the local stations. And we ended up winning it, and uh, it was sponsored like by Pizza Hut. So we won like a year's worth of pizza. <laughs> but they, it was like, you know, and the thing about it was kind of one of these reality shows where they had the band, you know, battle the bands and all that. Created, you know, quite a bit of publicity for us locally. So I mean, I think, and we played running down the avenue. And that was kind of our, you know, quote unquote, radio hit if we mm-hmm. ever had one. So right. so we get, we went as far as we could with it. Again, it's you know, it's it's. Uh, As we got older, it's harder to travel, and it just wasn't a good time for us to get out on the road. Yeah. As if it ever is. I don't know.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I want to ask uh, a little bit about when you do go out and play live at at certain gigs. um, You know, your music is is so, how should I best describe it as is studio-tight. I mean, it's just produced in a very... Uh, you know, sharp, slick method, and it's be- it's literally beautiful. How does the vibe of the song, uh, Rob, uh, change as uh, a live performance as opposed to something that? I mean, do you play it like the album, or what? What loosens up? How do you translate that from lot to live?
3: Um, I would say there's there's a couple approaches that we've taken, and um, one of them is to literally try to recreate everything on the record. And so we will, uh, like some of our big release shows, we'll bring in um, a lot of extra plays. We'll have a three-piece horn section. We'll have an extra keyboard player, and we'll have background singers, and we'll try to do all the parts. And that works great. I think, you know, I think that's really a great experience for everybody involved, you know, the audience as well. So it's really hard to pull off, but we do that. It's... um, kind of few and far between whenever you can get everyone together and yeah. make it a real event. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people at the same time say, hey, you know, I really dig you guys just as a four-piece because it's more st- kind of stripped down, rock and roll, yeah, right. just, you know, just the four of you guys. So yeah. we when we do that, I think it works on a different level. It's like I think we're a little more jammy and we'll open up the song a little bit to some soloing, We've got some great soloists in the band and especially our guitar player is kinda stands out, Carl Koopman, uh and uh we have to rein him in too tight on these records. I mean if we could just give him his own record, you could see how good <laughs> he can really play. I mean yeah. the guy is amazing. <laughs> so maybe that'll be another side project.
4: I I'm a keyboardist also, so but but when you play um, what do you what do you like performing in, in the studio i mean are you using acoustic piano are you using patches from uh you know from a controller are you using what, what do you like to play
3: i like you know I was trained as a piano player yeah first of all so I always dig just playing piano but um, in a rock band um, a lot of times you go with something electrified so i i, sure. I kind of Lean towards some of the vintage keyboard sounds, mm-hmm. Wurlitzer and Rhodes. Right. Some organ. Haven't really got too heavy into the synthesized stuff. But, yeah. Uh, when I play live, I, I have a Nord Electro. Right. And that kind of serves my, my needs. I'm, not, I'm kind of a simple guy in that regard. I don't play a lot of different.
4: Yeah, there's there's actually one track in, wh- in which uh, I think you do a uh, synth solo, which is sort of rare in your projects. Um, oh, I can't remember I, what it is, but it's a really nice one, but I think it's the only one out of the, the albums <laughs> that I even heard.
3: I'm wondering if that is on Virtual Lisa.
4: I think it could be.
3: And let me tell you about that, because that's a really interesting question. Um, that is actually... Our guitar player. I
4: thought so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: and I think he played it on a Prophet. Did he really? Uh, yes. So I can't claim to be the guy on that. He played an awesome solo. I thought it was guitar when he first brought it in.
4: He was playing an old Prophet, man. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, and he, with a Wawa wah pedal. That's why it threw me off. It was like seriously, and it, so I was like, "This is great." I mean, so
4: that's a really cool yeah. thing, you yeah. know. It stands out the solo totally stands out because if I understand if I remember correctly the, the the piano uh the rhythms and the chordings uh they continue underneath and then all of a sudden this little cool quasi synth sound comes out and I'm like oh that's really cool you know and it yeah. doesn't and it doesn't have you don't do it too much in your project in your your songs you know
3: Yeah exactly I mean uh, that's the sort of thing that um you know we don't probably do enough of um for some people you know I think uh, I think people would also dig an a, a album where we really stretch out and let, let Carl do his thing, which, yeah. you yeah. know, at least he has a solo on this new, uh, this new song, he's got a, another solo, so that's good. That's great. And, uh, yeah, he's just phenomenal, so yeah. I dig everything he brings in.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be playing with some good guys, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, Appreciate
3: yeah I'm really that. lucky.
4: I'm going to go back to the two songs that I mentioned
0: uh, a second ago on, on Four Blocks to Hennepin. And the first one is uh, the song Rajasthan. I, th- I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, is that yeah, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. Rajasthan.
0: Tell me a little bit about the inspiration for that particular song.
3: Okay. Um, that song came out of um, a couple different things. First of all, I was traveling in India, uh-huh. and there's a province of India called Rajasthan. It's yep. like the northwestern part of the country. Uh-huh. At the time, I was there uh, with a f- uh, just traveling with a friend of mine, and we were... Just there for a week or something, but at the same time, I was there. I was dealing with a uh, kind of a long-distance relationship. Okay. Back in the states, and things were kind of falling apart, and um, it just has to do with that whole scenario. So, I mean, even okay. though I was in Rajasthan, I was thinking about mm-hmm. this uh, relationship. Sure. And it sort of paints a picture of uh, of that desert. Uh, Atmosphere and that climate out there, yeah, um, as well as my personal feelings. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know. Is that does it get no, enough? Of no, that? that's
2: fine.
0: I, <laughs> well, and a, then
3: uh, what was the other?
0: Well, it's a good segue because the next song is goodbye.
3: Oh uh, yeah, goodbye. Okay, so this one.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but we put the, we put that together already. <laughs> you okay. Well, you know, I'm just kidding. It, We're well,
3: delving into all my uh, broken relationships. Here, <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Anyway, yeah. So this is another one where, um, you know, uh, had a relationship with a woman that uh, unfortunately had to leave the country. Uh-huh. She was from Japan, uh-huh. and um, you know, it was one of those long distance relationships. It just didn't work out, and just sort of becoming through the you know the evolution of the song. If you if you read the lyrics, it's yes. sort of evolves. It just disintegrates to the point where,
0: you know, it's about denial. Yeah,
3: Yeah. you're denying that it's gonna, that it's gonna end, but it does.
0: What I like about the song is how, musically speaking, is how the song builds to, builds to each chorus. You know, in, in not to mention the vocal harmonies in the chorus. It's really beautiful.
3: Well, thanks. Yeah, I know. I I like to add a lot of harmonies. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: well, like I said, I was Sorry. being selfish, and I'm talking about the tracks that I liked on that album. But what about you? What were some of the tracks that you liked on Four Blocks? Yeah, really.
3: Oh, um, you know, it's always hard because it's like I like know if i wrote a song that i like i like what i, <laughs> I did right, you know, right. it's uh but i mean i guess yeah those those two are definitely like pretty pretty high up on my list too i think they were well crafted um four blocks to happen i kind of like just because it's a departure from maybe the styles that i had done before and i really had an interesting subject matter and I wrote all the riffs and stuff too. It was a kind of riffy yeah. song that I thought, okay, I'm going to try this, you know. And, and of course, that led into this outro, which I did all by myself, yeah, a, just without my keyboards and tried to put together a little symphonic yeah. counterpoint thing, which uh, that was cool. I tacked on the end. I don't know if you if you guys have heard that. Oh yet.
4: yeah, we did. Yes. Yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was great.
3: I just like that album in general. I just think that turned out really good.
4: Yeah, definitely. If I'm correct, um, I read somewhere that the track "Outrunning Headlights" that has a little bit of a story to it. Didn't didn't you win a a, a writing contest? If I'm correct, with that track, tell us about that. To
3: uh, the positive pop song contest or something like that. All right. um, The song itself is uh, it's uh, "Outrunning Headlights" is just I thought it was an interesting. Concept because I hadn't heard that before. And yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It a it's a neat It's Basically, track. for you know, for people who haven't heard about, so that means like, if you're out driving at night, and you're driving faster than your headlights, like if something came into view in your headlights, you wouldn't be able to stop. You'd be do, if you were going that fast. Right. So you're sort of going faster than you should, or you're
2: yeah
3: out running your headlights, and. Um, Sometimes that's just the way people feel um in their lives and as sure. things go on you you, you can't
0: slow
4: mm-hmm.
3: down and you can't you know, things just happen faster than you want them.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And that was a really nice track. I, I really enjoyed that.
3: Thanks. Yeah, I think a lot of people have have liked that one for for a lot of different reasons, but uh I'm hoping that my solo record will be more of that kind of stuff. More of a, okay. it's a kind of contemplative uh Maybe a little slower So, um, yeah, yeah, thank you
4: Um, On on that same album, Four Blocks Um you know, I, I noticed something that was really neat happening through the, through some of the songs. I noticed some really neat horn arrangements, and uh, for instance, on "Crying Shame," has some really really nicely arranged parts. And uh, and I, I can really I can appreciate some good horn arrangements because they're so difficult to do. Not anybody can write horn arrangements. Um, but uh, do you write those, or who do you collaborate uh, in in writing those parts? Yeah,
3: that's that's a good question. I um, I guess it was a combination. I. I initially had some ideas and I, I, you know, put them in, um, as, uh, you know, get some fake horns, uh, put them in the recording. And then I brought in a guy, um, who could write up some charts based on my, um, parts. And then, uh, you know, I think there was some back and forth and tweaking just to, to make sure it was all going to work. Uh, on that track, that was mostly my, my charts and, mm-hmm. um, Based on the track, I think there were some other songs that I might have um, used some yeah. help. Right. But, um, but, yeah, that was mostly just me uh, learning how to do horn lines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we, We've talked a lot about Four Blocks to Hennepin, but you do have another album that came out in 2008, and that's Dust and Fiction. And, again, just throwing this out, how would you, you know, in the evolution of, of Terramara and the the three albums, how would you describe... Uh, this this album, Dust and in, in Fiction, in comparison to the two previous albums.
3: Okay, yeah, I would say on this latest record, um, I went more in the direction of okay, let's let's try to write some really concise pop songs. Let, you know, let's let's not you know uh, let's not have any horns. Um, yeah. Let's try to. Uh, you know make the guitars a little more prominent yeah um, and we hired a producer that could deliver that sort of scenario um, he was he's a great musician and a uh, named John Herkert and uh-huh. he produced some other local musicians and when I met with him it's like he's a guitar guy you know he knows yeah. how to get good guitar sounds he knows how to make a record that's well produced and in the pop vein so that was that was sort of the direction we were going with that record. Okay. So I would say maybe a departure from the one before, but sure. uh, generally the same. You know, my songwriting I, style is always going to come through. And but uh, that was sort of the tack we took on it.
0: Well, one of the songs that stands out for me on that album, and again, it's you're right. It's it's more of a poppy approach. Is the song on the bus. And um, this track has has sort of a hint of a '60s Brit pop to it. You know, the, li- mm-hmm. the lyrics describe what you know most of us have experienced in our lives. You know, trying to get up the nerve to talk to that girl or guy that you know you've had your eye on for a long time. And this, in this case, a girl on the bus that always sits in the second row, <laughs> never looks up until the bus stops downtown. And any particular uh, inspiration in writing this one?
3: Um, somewhat, not specifically, but I used to ride the bus downtown uh, to work, and it's a funny thing. I mean, when you ride on the bus, people do actually sit in the same seat every day. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they, they kind of territorial and <laughs> take out their little spot. And so, uh, you know, there any number of times you can imagine. You get on the bus, and then some uh, cute girl gets on, and you know, and you're just wondering what what is her story? You know, what right. is her deal? Right, and of course trying to figure out a way you're going to talk to her or meet her, you know, or something like that. So it, I don't, I can't really base it on any, like, particular experience that I had, but just sort of an overall feeling.
1: Every morning you get on the bus at Lake Street And every morning you sit in
0: I thought it was kind of clever on the end of the song. You, you slip into the wheels on the bus.
3: <laughs> yes, right, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> might have probably been influenced by the fact that I had two kids.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just today I was listening to this album, and I think I listened to Dustin Fiction today around, I think, three times in its entirety. And and wow. I actually, at my office, uh, you know, I have an ad agency, and uh, at my office I was basically playing this this record over and over. And, and I was really happy because my younger designers that were in the studio, they, uh, they pretty much didn't ever stop me to to say hey stop playing that music they just kept on going and going so i thought okay we're onto something here <laughs> but in <laughs> well, the that's a good sign. it yeah, is a good not sign i need to
2: turn it off yeah like, yeah maybe we're onto
4: well well in the course of, of listening to this album over and over today in the studio you know uh, one of the guys stood up and he said you know that all that i am song and i mean he didn't know anything about the song he didn't know about the the titles or he hadn't seen really anything uh didn't know anything about the band he said that's a really cool thing and then somebody stood up and just said, I like scream, the screaming song. I'm like, that's screaming at, at the pouring rain. And uh, <laughs> and, and then by the time you know it, these guys were throwing out... I mean, they were actually... You know, but I had to stop the music because I had to get them back to work. But, <laughs> but, in, <laughs> but but in the course of the day, I thought it was really neat that these guys were they were uh, you know they were remembering these songs. They were catchy, and they were yeah. and these guys were talking yeah. about it. And I think your your work here has a lot of magnetism, and I really like this duck, Dust and uh, Fictions project. Really nice work. Well,
3: well, thank you very much. That's, yeah. uh, that's a very high compliment. Um, yeah. I uh, I think we probably just need to get out more. Maybe we just need more exposure.
4: Oh, I, I
2: totally so, uh, agree. Yeah, no,
3: I think I think uh, there is there. I think there are a lot of people who would dig this stuff. It's just uh, yeah, definitely it's, you got to get on. You got to get it out there.
0: Well, well. hopefully uh, this interview will help. We've got uh, <laughs> we have. Yes, uh, thank you guys so we, much. We yeah. uh, not only have uh, a lot of listeners here in the states, but you know a large portion of our our audiences in other parts of the world. You know, especially in Europe, we've got a, a pretty big following in Europe. So um, oh, that's great. And that's what we had talked about earlier today was that you know maybe uh maybe, if they can catch on over there it, it might go some places, so um but uh I was gonna mention also that you know you you kind of alluded to it earlier, but you've got a little surprise for us here today, uh Rob's allowing inside music cast to mm-hmm. debut uh a brand new track by terramar i I guess it's not brand new because you mentioned it's a song that could have gone <laughs> on a second album, but that's th- right, but it's this
3: new to you, you guys, yeah, I guess.
0: But this track was just mixed uh, just recently, and and we're pretty stoked to be able to play it here. But, no doubt. But before we dive into it, tell us more about this track. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is this yeah. is? Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
3: No, I I uh, I guess I would just say uh, you know um, it's another fictional story. Um, it's called Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. It's about um, and this is a scenario that probably occurs a lot, uh, but young. Um, young person, this is in the case of a young girl, moves to New York to try to make it big in the fashion business or something like that. And she, um, you know, inevitably runs into uh, a lot of problems and, uh, re- you know, frustrations, regrets, uh, you just, you know, just failing to, to achieve success in the big city. Mm-hmm. So um, it sort of follows her path and... uh um, it's just been one of those songs where we we think it's a good tune and we just thought we got to get it out there, you
0: know. Yeah. So um, Is this a um is is this song obviously uh, it, it, you're mixing it and you're you're getting it ready to to put out there but is it one that's a precursor to a potential new project by Terramara? I know you're going to work on your solo album here soon but Yeah. Is the, it is?
3: I well I think uh I think it's probably more in line with the two previous records that you heard. Uh-huh. So in terms of sound,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I wouldn't say it, you know, it's going to, it's going to tell, uh, for, you know, foretell something sure. coming, but uh, I would say that we, we would like to put a, another record out, and I think, I think uh, this one might be a little more like Four Blocks, a little more, okay. um, maybe a little more, uh, a little less pop, maybe a little more of a musician's kind of a
0: record. I'll tell you what, I'm pretty excited to to dive right into this. Uh, I want to take a listen to Brooklyn Bridge. This is the, I guess you could say this is the premiere uh, right here on Inside Music Cast of the track Brooklyn Bridge from Terramara.
1: Mississippi, I never looked back. 21 and not much older. Alright, Manhattan, there were runways paved with satin, and a small bag across the shore. auditions never seem to help
0: Inside Music Cast exclusive debut of the track Brooklyn Bridge, a brand new track just mixed recently from Terramara. And uh, we want to thank Rob for for allowing us to debut that here on Inside Music Cast. That was a really nice track. I I really enjoyed that. Uh, Well, well, Rob, thanks for uh, joining us today on Inside Music Cast. We really appreciate your time and learning more about Terramara. I'm sure our fans are really going to dig it because the reason we wanted to talk to you, this is kind of a first for us talking to... uh, uh, you know, a band, out, you know, somebody that's involved with a band outside of uh, just talking to directly with just individual musicians. So um, it's kind of a new new territory for us, but you're the first band that we, Eddie and I have really encountered that we think our fans will really dig, that possibly they haven't heard before.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, thanks a lot. It's, it's great to be here.
0: Sure. And uh, obviously you've got a solo project that you're going to be working on and it's going to be coming out, you say, maybe in the next six months or so?
3: I'm, that's what I'm hoping for, yes, Okay.
0: Well, we'll definitely have to keep in touch with you on that and, and we'll be sure to let uh fans of inside music cast know when it's out there and ready
4: exactly in the meantime
0: in the meantime,
4: rob, where can people go to to hear more about your music your website uh c d baby or get, go ahead and let's yep, uh, we're
3: uh we're all over we uh we're on the ter- we have terramara dot com mm-hmm. you know uh, and that's our home base, but we also have a facebook page and a uh myspace um you can hear us. Uh, iTunes yeah. and CD Baby, um, Amazon. Everything's available in CD format or on or, or as a download. So very cool. Yeah, um, yeah check it out. It's. Uh, I think we have about thirty six songs out. So
4: that's neat. We that's highly recommend and emphasis on highly recommend these these albums. Everybody's going to love them. So get your hands on them, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> thanks a lot, man. All right. Well, Rob, thanks for joining us, and, and we'll keep in touch.
3: Okay, thanks, guys. All
0: right, take care. Take care. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Special thanks to Rob Meany from Terramara for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Uwe Reith. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick
2: Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.